boys to get your ass out of it. That's right. Caption Midnight Express. Hey, what's up? It's not a train. It's a prison where it's um place this is the enigma hour on kadlp 103.5 fm sonora california i am olaf phillips i am here with captain dave yeah reporting for duty yeah we had to take a little break there dave had some stuff going on i got sick took a little time off but we're back starting uh starting the year off right oh we're trying We'll get so there. tonight we'll explore another one of life's little mysteries. But you, but you know how it is. It's like we just come in and throw out a topic. And uh, so the audience is exploring <laughs> with us. That's a, that's a code name for bad planning. <laughs> but I'm always surprised how much uh, we pull our knowledge together. It's something. That's and we true. did get an email, or I got an email... Somebody wanted to know more about uh, the, the hidden treasures, treasure hunters in Swallow County. Well, I've got something that's going to blow your mind. Well, you know. But I, it, it vaguely has to do with that kind of. So uh, it's, uh, I know it's going to shoot me into the Farganosphere. Far, it's what gonna about be, what? Farganosphere? Yes, because it's W for your head. So you. So I, I noticed you lit a stick of incense. I did. Namaste. Namaste. Uh, I'm at your perfect lotus feet. Illuminate me. That was pretty good, Dave. <laughs> Glad we got that recorded. <laughs> you know what? That should be the promo that we never bothered to make. <laughs> I'm in the perfect lotus position. Illuminate me. <laughs> Every Thursday on the Enigma Hour. 
<laughs> Which is two hours long. <laughs> it's an enigma uh, of itself. It, it, it's an enigma of itself. And and we had a listener <laughs> who actually and we also, re- requested uh, something. I, I, no, we got another request as well. Really? Uh, yes. Uh, they sent me a link oh, to a, right. uh, a cave exploration and says, is this really in Sonora? And then I... The answer is yes. Yeah. And we got to have uh, those explorers. Yeah. I'm going to contact Down them. to earth exploring. Down to earth exploring. And, Let me write that down. Uh, and for the uninitiated, um, most of us. there was this uh, cavern that they found that's just under the streets of Sonora. So instead of being on hallowed ground, we're on hollowed ground. And over and over again, when I uh, when I was doing my research on Charles de Chau, there was this whole system of underground tunnels yeah. underneath Sonora. Oh yeah. The butcher would get off to work, and his house was across the street, but he had a secret tunnel. <laughs> of course he did. It's, it's Sonora. <clears throat> no, the whole place. Well, what I never realized is the Red Church, every year for Christmas, they put up a tree in front of the church, right? Yeah. And so you would think that they have a little tree stand, and they go up to this. So for those of you who don't live here, when you live here, you don't go and buy a tree. You file for a permit, do things legally. You file for a permit, you go up in the forest, and you take your chainsaw and you cut your own tree down. So they had this big, beautiful tree, and I figured, oh, they got a some kind of a tree stand or something. No, it is in the one of the air shafts for the mine that's under the high school. Uh, the uh, red church, you can get a marble. And uh, that's why they always need money for restoration is because you can get a marble it's and put sinking. it on one. It's sinking. It's continually sinking. Yeah, it's they sinking w- into the mine. Oh, they're sinking into the mine. That's yeah. right. So they were trying to clear some land over behind the high school, and they brought out a bulldozer, and it was suggested to them that might not be the best thing. And uh, the bulldozer, because of its weight, hit, hit the mine shaft and just sunk out of sight. Oh, yeah, but but I thought that was crazy. <laughs> they actually measured the diameter of the, the air shaft. They put the Christmas tree into the air shaft. Over uh, at my dad's That's house crazy. that used to live uh, over on Lime Kiln Road, the Kincaid Mine, and uh, he was having to drill a new well, right? Oh, right. And then I says, well, you got all these caps. I mean... Who, look at all the drilling. Uh, how many wells has there been? He says, those aren't uh, uh, well caps. Those are the air shafts for the mines. That uh, So this guy goes exploring. He's got videos posted yeah, on yeah. YouTube. Oh, I've seen them. And um, so it's like everything has been built up over the... So there's like house under a house, and there's right. windows just leading to brick walls and dirt. Right. Uh, there's a whole kind of world below us. Yes. And you see the timbers, and it's holding the street and the sidewalk. I know. Up. I think about that every time I walk down. So there's a place here called Flappies, and they have really good pizzas, right? And they do these specials. The specials are fantastic. I love Flappies. In fact, you know, at Flappies, if you get free advertising, if you get a tattoo that's three inches long <laughs> of the Flappies logo, 
You get free pizza and a soda once a week for, for life. So a flap is these pizzas are so They're big. Huge. They only sell one size. And they and they uh, sell it by the slice. Right. And uh, you can't hold it in your hand because no, it flaps. Yeah. <laughs> it's a flappy. And it's really good. And they have these. There's a really good bartender. There. They do these really great drinks. But anyway, every time I walk there, there's kind of a dip before you. It's like down and then a dip and then down some more. Yeah. Every time I walk past that dip, I think to myself, one of these days, this whole place is going to crater. So uh, you got Woods Creek that's over there. Have you ever right. noticed uh, where that uh, Mexican restaurant is? Oh, yeah. And it's a patio and, you, and you look down yeah. and about a story down is oh, Woods that Creek. Place. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And then how everything seems to be down a story. Right. Well, there was a, a structure collapse and fire, and they never rebuilt. But you notice Woods Creek all of a sudden goes under Highway 49 and two streets over that, because you hit Washington Street, um, Stewart Street, and then Shepherd Street. Finally, when you get to Shepherd Street, the creek appears again, and they built these like shale natural shale walls and you can walk through i guess as long as it's not flooded <laughs> yeah that would not be a good idea right now but uh yeah there's a underground thing going on all right well speaking of underground <clears throat> so while i was sick i did a little research and i found something that'll blow your mind i'm ready but first i want to let read- it happen captain <laughs> i want to read a, a thing about the guy who compiled this so this, this information comes out of ancient structure, remarkable roads, mines, walls, mounds, and stone, stone circles compiled by William R. Corliss. It's a catalog of archaeological anomalies. Okay. These books, they're out of print now, and they're very expensive. <laughs> they're very, I went okay. and looked. <laughs> so it's this archaic uh, tomb. Yes. Okay. <clears throat> Starting in 1974, Corliss... Tome. What? Is it tome or tomb? T-O-M-E? This is a tome. Uh, Starting in 1974, Corliss published um, a number of works in the Sourcebook Project, each volume devoted to a scientific field, archaeology, astronomy, geology, etc., and featured articles called from exclusively from scientific journals. Corliss was inspired by Charles Ford, who decades earlier also collected reports. Well, decades is kind of... <clears throat> anyway, um, many of the articles in Corliss's work were earlier mentioned in Fort's works. Unlike Fort, known for his idiosyncratic writing style, Corliss initially offered little in the way of his own opinions or editorial comments, preferring to let the articles speak for themselves. Corliss quoted all relevant parts of the articles, often reprinting entire articles or stories, including illustrations. In some of his later source book efforts, such as the mid-1990s Biological Anomaly series, Corliss added his evaluation of documented reports from credible sources are ranked as a number one, while entirely unsubstantiated reports are ranked as a four, with a two or three representing intermediate. Similarly, Corliss's use, uses of ratings of one for anomalies that cannot be explained by existing scientific theories, while for uh, describes phenomena that are unusual but do not challenge scientific thought. 
Corliss Corliss, Corliss, uh, wrote many other articles, books and articles, notably including 13 educational books on astronomy, outer space, and space travel for NASA, and a similar number for the Atomic Energy Commission and National Science Foundation. So he's got his creds. Yeah, he has a he had a, a bachelor's degree in bachelor of science in physics from Rissler Polytechnic and a master's of science in physics uh, from University of Colorado. So he's a well educated dude. And he collected uh, reports of weirdness. Uh, now, I, I looked through the the rest of his bio on him because I kind of wanted you to get a sense of who you're right, dealing with. Who you're dealing with here? So the one the one review that I thought would be the best is one by Arthur C. Clarke, who was oh, okay. known to debunk hoaxes. Right. Right. This is what Arthur C. Clarke said. Unlike Fort, Corliss selected his material almost exclusively from scientific journals like Nature and Science, not newspapers. So it has already been subjected to a filtering process, which it would have removed most hoaxes and reports from obvious cranks. Nevertheless, there is much that is quite baffling in some of these reports from highly reputable sources. That's Arthur C. Clarke. <clears throat> now, I'm going to have something to drink real quick. All right. So we're talking about uh, Umpart. Okay. Out-of-place <clears throat> no. artifact. No, no. No? No, this is worse. Oh, That's great. Okay. Like I said, this is from... Uh, Ancient Infrastructure, Remarkable Roads, Mines, Walls, Mounds, and Stone Circles, compiled by William R. Corliss. I quote. Okay. California, Table Mountain, in Tuolumne County, is the site of several curious archaeological discoveries. Therefore, there, in a geological deposit called the Auriferous Gravels, for their gold content, miners of the gold rush days found stone mortars, stone spearheads, in the, the notorious Calaveras skull. The problem arising was these, that these artifacts were found at depths of several hundred feet below the surface and in tunnels driven over a thousand feet into the gravel. It was easy to assume that the Calaveras skull and artifacts, uh, associated artifacts were the, the same age as the gravel, the Tetrary age, probably more than two million years old. Not unexpectedly, a great controversy erupted over the contents of these auriferous gravels. It continues to this day because creationists use the, the Calaveras skull as evidence that geologists uh, have their dates wrong. And he references BHE 12 and Humans 2. That's another, his Humans 2 source book. An alternative to assuming the Calaveras skull and associated artifacts of the same age as gravel has prehistoric humans digging digging in these auriferous gravels only a few thousand years ago rather than millions of years ago. But there is but is there any other evidence that these more recent humans actually dug into the auriferous gravels for gold or perhaps just to conduct rituals? Jay Southall Jay Southall examined the possibility back in 1881 when he described the discovery of pre-gold Rush excavations. One of these ancient shafts was actually been discovered in this in this very Table Mountain, which figures so largely in these accounts, and where the celebrated Calvary skull itself was discovered under such remarkable circumstances. The discovery in question was made in 1849, 
long before the discussions about the existence of man in the tetrary strata had ever been dreamed of. I quote from Schoolcraft's Archaeology, Volume 1, page 105. It was late in the month of August in 1849 when gold diggers, sorry, I'm going to change the page, <clears throat> at one of the mountain's dig-ins called Murphy's were, were surprised in examining a high barren district of the mountain to find the abandoned site of an old mine. It is evidently, says the writer, a work of ancient times. The shaft discovered is 210 feet deep. Its mouth is situated on a high mountain. It was several days before preparations could be compiled to descend and explore it. The bones of a human skeleton were found at the bottom. There was also found an altar for worship and other evidence of ancient labor. No evidence has been discovered to denote the era of this ancient work. There has been nothing to determine whether it was or whether it is to be regarded as the remains of explorations of the first Spanish adventurers or of a still earlier period. The occurrence of the remains of an altar looks like a period of Indian worship. We have read nothing more on this mysterious shaft. Yeah, that's mysterious, all right. So apparently, the somebody, whether it was you know, Native Americans or somebody was mining that mountain before the miners ever got there. That's one shaft. There are multiple shafts. So somebody thousands of years ago was mining that place. Yeah, well, uh, that's see where all the controversy comes from is were those things inherent in the mine and the miners dug them up? No, they found a shaft. No, I understand what you're saying. And uh, that like fills the link there right. where you can also argue that no, okay, you might not think that man was around here two million years ago, but uh, was there people that predate the Native Americans, the older people that were here once before, um, dug the shafts in and then the artifacts that are found Right. in there is associated right. with them so you don't have to buy the two million old theory. <clears throat> Although I will tell you that uh, the Calaveras skull itself was debunked. Right. Um, it, uh, and the reason why Whitney ended up using that thing, those miners pranked them, is because he had trouble locating the artifacts that came out of Table Mountain. The person that had the big collection was uh, Perez Schnell, right. uh, the, the good doctor. And his house burned down and all the evidence. And he actually went looking for artifacts that he knew were in different places. Well, I think Some of it ended up at the Smithsonian. Well, yeah, and they lost it, right? Yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> there's more about Table Mountain, but I also right. wanted to read this to you. And this is from Coralus's Strange Phenomenon, a source book of unusual natural phenomenon, G2, which means that it's volume two. Magnetic well, look at the way that book is bound. Oh, I know. Uh, Magnet magnetic micropulsations, GMM003, magnetic micropulsations accompanying meteor activity. Uh, Campbell Wallace H., Journal of Geophysical Research, August 1960. 
Only the abstract and experimental procedure are reproduced below. Abstract. Increase activity of magnetic micropulsations with periods of 5 to 30 seconds and magnetic flux densities of 20 to 320 meters was found to accompany the Aquarid and Aquarid and Perseid meteor showers in 1958. Conflicting reports are discussed. Procedure. Magnetic field oscillations were measured continuously from March through September 1958 at a California desert site. It gives a latitude and longitude. The detection system had a north axis loop antenna with 21,586 turns of 2 meter diameter and a band pass of 3 decibel points at 0.04 and 0.4 CS. The limiting sensitivity was was 20 of 4,808 hours sampled 60% had micropulsations with periods of 5 to 30 seconds. So apparently this place is so the desert's not far from here. This place is so magnetically anomalous that when there are meteor showers, there are pulses coming out of the ground. This one's pretty long, though, but but basically... Well, what's the abstract? Well, there is no abstract for this <laughs> Well, one. I mean, you can do it. Okay, Tuolumne, Table Mountain, Tuolumne County. So far, California has rewarded the anomalous with some suggestive evidence before 12,000 BP, before present, the so-called Clovis limit, and perhaps as much as 100,000 years earlier. Mainstream archaeologists have mostly rejected these pre-Clovis artifacts offered by G.F. Carter, J. Goodman, A.L. Bryman, H.L. Marshall, and others. The Clovis first paradigm possesses considerable scientific inertia and is not surprising the challenges to it are fiercely debated. But at Table Mountain and the Sierra's paradigms that are even more fundamental come under fire. Oh, by the way, this is uh, archaeological anomaly, small artifacts, bone, stone, metal artifacts, footprints, and high technology. By who? Corliss. Okay. We're getting down to good stuff now. Uh, where was I? <clears throat> um, yet t- tunnel, tunnels deep into the auriferous ar- gravels beneath the, this igneous lid have produced hundreds of stone objects, mortars especially, that are obviously of human manufacture. The lava cap implies that these artifacts were buried in lava and lava capped more than 9 million years ago. <clears throat> so something is awry either in the geological dating and the accepted scenario for human evolution. The scientific integrity of Table Mountain artifact discoveries and possibly some other unrecognized factors. The anomalies suggest by the artifacts in California's auriferous gravels are so profound that they either have have to be ignored completely or or deliberately and, and formally rejected as bad science. Interestingly, none of the maverick archaeologists above uh, in connection with other California archaeological sites and who have been happily attacked by the Clovis first paradigm, uh, Dines to mention Table Mountain, the Table Mountain problem. In fact, only two among our many references meet the Table Mountain challenge head on, namely M.A. Cremo and R.L. Thompson and R.E. Gennett. Cremo and Thompson are comfortable with Table Mountain's extreme implications because they believe and attempt to prove that the human race is much older than 5 million years 
uh, or so allowed by anthropologists and evolutionists. Gentet, Gentet, on the other hand, is a creationist and would be pleased to trash both geological and dating methodology, the evolution paradigm. We will try to treat the Table Mountain, table mountain conundrum objectively, but admit to the out, outset that something serious seems to be amiss in these immense deposits of auriferous gravels. We begin with having Ari Gennett set the stage historically. In eight, the 1849 gold rush to the state of California was the beginning of some of the most unusual reported finds of early man in North America. The gold-bearing gravels of, of California are recognized as being tetrary in age, ranging from the oldest to the youngest tetrary, depending upon the exact geological setting. At the time these gravels were deposited, volcanic eruptions also laid down lava beds, often tens or scores of th feet thick. This occurred a number of times, and together with much erosion since then, have now resulted in table mountains. That is, So it's what they, uh, for our listening audience, it's what they call an inverted landscape. And you right. can, it's way more complex. Even Whitney's assistant, uh, uh, the, nor, the view that everybody takes the simple way, and he goes, no, it wasn't that simple. It was an ancient, the Stanislaus had already gone. So when lava, uh, when a volcano goes, uh, where does the lava go? It goes downhill. And the quickest way downhill, just like water does. So it displaced yeah, the they, Stanislaus River. They actually explain that. All right. And then over time, um, the uh, hardened lava, it's, uh, um, you know, this frozen mud stuff and everything else around it um, erodes. And so you have this exact mold of the river, its contours and everything. And uh, and it, I think the highest point on Table Mountain is only about a thousand feet, but because everything else is so much lower and it stands so starkly, and if you're up on top of that puppy, um, it looks like it's a riverbed. You're walking on top of a river, but everything's been eroded in in some places. Very dramatic. So before I get to the Smithsonian account of this, which is in here. <clears throat> this is interesting. During the late 1800s, several books and many papers recorded the discoveries in auriferous gravel. Some of these finds were made by respected scientists, whatever. So apparently in the late 1800s, and I, I have some of the some of the articles are actually referenced here, but you need to find them because it says that several books and many papers recorded the discovery. I have some of them. Yeah. Uh, because what happens is Whitney had to go around trying to find, he's going to present his findings to this big uh, assemblage of all the, uh, um, uh, the cultured uh, scientists, his contemporaries, you know, in the big society. And uh, that's when he got duped with the Cal skull. Calavera skull. Mm. And, uh, but, he even said that uh, he purported in, in his lecture, and that's available. And also his, because he, he wrote everything down. And uh, actually the people that he went around to to try to find some of the remaining artifacts that did come out of there. But they found a 
What was seen to be authenticated was a lower portion of a jaw, a human jaw, well, and um, um, right next to mammoth bones. Well, according to the other thing, there, that shaft, they found a complete skeleton in an altar. So we got to figure out where that came from. But you, you talked to... Um, when they tried to do interviews with the native people oh, that yeah, they're like, here, we don't know who that is. And uh, we don't, uh, uh, the rocks, you don't throw your uh, people down shafts um, because there's these rock giants. But apparently apparently, there's other evidence of mines that, that it was extensively mined in prehistory. No, they, uh, the, the Soviets, they found uh, a jewelry-making <laughs> shop um, where was it up in Russia or something somewhere? Oh, yeah. This ancient cave, and it turned out to be like an assembly line jewel. That's where they found that bracelet. There was like this jade bracelet, and even had a little hole in it for a little heart, a little stone that had been lost. Okay, so this yeah, they found a bead uh, up under Table Mountain stuff, and it was all associated with the other artifacts that were around it. Right. It definitely was during the time of the mastodons. So this this is an, an article called Pliocene Man from 1881. We were informed that in, in 1858, a stone mortar holding two quarts was taken at the depth of 300 feet from the surface uh, from a mining tunnel in Table Mountain, Tuolumne County, California, laying in auriferous gravel under a thick stratum of lava. Uh, in 1862, another mortar was found at the depth of 340 feet, 104 of which were composed of lava and 1800 feet from the mouth of the tunnel. The second one, the second example comes from Smithsonian's annual report for 1899 and at WH Holmes, a noted geologist of the time summarized the evidence for auriferous gravel man. We have room for only four of his 12 summary points. Number one, during the, the three or four decades, six, Succeeding the discovery of gold in California, miners in the auriferous belt reported many finds of implements and human remains from the mines. The formations were most predominantly involved in are the Neocene age, that is to say, middle or later portions of the Tetrary. Two, most of the objects came from surface mines, but some were apparently derived from tunnels entering horizontally or obliquely into great depths and distances between the mountain summits capped from the tetrary lavas, leading to the belief of their great age. Three, the finds were very numerous and were reported to, by many persons at various times, and the sites distributed over a vast area of the country. They were made with one exception by inexpert observers, by miners in pursuit of ordinary calling, but the statements made by the finders were reasonably held and show no indications of intentional exaggeration or attempted deception. Then he goes to number 12. The testimony for the antiquity of the, is greatly weakened by the facts that the, the finds on which it is based were made almost wholly by inexpert observers and two, all observers were recorded at second hand. Affidavits cannot redeem it, nothing short of abundant expert testimony will convince the critical mind that a tetrary race of men using symmetrically shaped and beautiful implements wearing necklaces of wampum and polished beads of marble or travertine uh, board accurately with revolving drills 
and having a religious system so highly developed that at least two forms of ceremonial stones were specialized could have been occupied in the American continent long enough to develop this marked degree of culture without some really distinctive traces of its existence. Something different from the ordinary belongings of our present Indian tribes. Yeah, so uh, I believe those things were found. But the argument is, is how old are they really? And uh, how did they get there? And you've already offered uh, an alternate explanation is because uh, the ancient uh, peoples were actually um, making shafts, digging tunnels, mining it. Yeah. And something else that's in there, I, I won't bore our listeners with reading. No, I, I'm stuff. fascinated with this stuff. See, what I like about this is like, you know, Mount Shasta is supposed to be this big spirit center. And I've been there, and there is things there is going, something on, up going there. on there. I, I, I understand that. And, yeah, no debate. And I, med- I, I, I can tell you stories. Oh, yeah, same here. Um, I saw a UFO there. I had a CE5 event on uh, the side of Shasta. But uh, mine was more insidious than that, man. Oh, yeah, it was like I got caught in a time loop. Um, but nobody's been to that city down the lava tubes there. I mean, yeah. uh, people claim to have, sure. but they can't give tours. Where's the piece of gold uh, armor that these giant skeletons were wearing or whatever? Right. You know? But in this case, we have the receipts. There are photos. And, um, we have photos of it. Uh, there's this one, uh, and I don't know how they carve it out of rock like that, this granite rock, and it's cut, got these beautiful cut designs. Well, of course, it, uh, it has certain aesthetic and uh, supposedly uh, spiritual value this thing and it is a high degree of sophistication sure. um, how it was made and they said well if these Neanderthals couldn't be doing that and I'm telling you uh, the age of things keep getting knocked back further and further and further uh, they found the mastodon kill um, uh, down in Southern California. This is just recently. Right. And uh, uh, how old did they? I think it was 130,000 years yeah. ago. Okay. Well, I also so, go back to, they talk about Clovis, 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 but there are no Clovis bodies. There are none. There's like fragments of a child, but there are no Clovis bodies ever found anywhere in North America. They found Clovis projectiles, they found hide scrapers. They found all kinds of other stuff that they date to the Clovis period. There's no bodies. None. The other thing that I thought was interesting, I'll find it maybe when we go to break. There is an instance where scattered throughout the Sierras, they find these basins that are carved into the rock, into the granite. They're smooth basins. And they're not mortar basins. And the reason that they say they're not mortar basins is that mortar, the mortar pestle holes that you find, I mean... The no, Miwok, that's worn away over well, the Miwok, years. the Miwok did use, the Miwok and the other groups that, that lived... No, I know exactly. It's like a dais bed almost. Yeah, it's I've like seen a pictures, uh, they're, photographs they're of them. They're five feet or greater in diameter mm-hmm. and depth. And they have a drain hole, right, on the side Some of, of them, them do. 
but but <clears throat> they're not mortar holes. You don't have a right. mortar that's five feet in diameter. So uh, uh, what's the speculation? There's no speculation. It's oh. just simply reported that it exists. You take that and you take the mysterious walls of the East Bay. You take the mysterious wall of Point Reyes. You know, there's a wall that basically runs all the way up the coast of California. You take the mysterious walls in the Sutter Buttes, the mysterious walls in the Siskiyous, the mysterious walls in the Sierras. It's like there's something going on. There, I mean, you take that and you couple it with Table Mountain, there's something going on. Yeah, well, I, uh, I live uh, right next to Table Mountain. And it's just like a prominent, such a prime. You know, they were, it rivaled uh, Half Dome at one point. Did you realize that? What? That uh, everybody wanted to get their picture taken, posed uh, in front of Table Mountain. But whatever happened to all those mines, mine shafts through the mountain? They're still there. Um, and, but they're really dangerous to explore. So the main mine, so it became Jamestown Mine, which is called the Harvard Pit. Right. Okay? So, I mean, yeah, the easiest way was at first to start tunneling under the lava flow right. uh, where there's the gravels from the old riverbed. But they started digging in all directions at once after a while. So when they say that they found it at certain feet, First of all, Table Mountain, sometimes it's higher and sometimes it's lower, yeah. I mean, that way. But it's not just because they're going from under. They're going from top, but sideways, every which way. And, and the mine now is this big toxic pit. It didn't close down to like 97 or something. Um, it was the largest producing gold mine so in the world. It? The county owns it now, and they got... So the people that were running the mine was from uh, Canada, I think. Okay. And uh, they said, hey, we're going to just deed it over to you. What the county didn't realize is they were taking over a toxic pit that has to be totally monitored all the time. Yeah. Because of how gold mining yeah. uh, things change. Well, I, no, this is more modern methods. of. Oh, uh, it's still I, nasty. Yeah, it's nasty stuff, right. Yeah. Um, and I think we already talked about it. It's like that big priceless piece of fan gold. Yeah, it came out of there. Uh, came out of there, right. But there, it talks about them finding these ancient shafts up toward the top. And it's like, if the county owns it. Well, no, just the that one mine area. Okay. Um, a lot of uh, Table Mountain is private land now. They sold off. And then the part that is public yeah, chicken, chicken is by the Bureau of Land. Yeah, there. Yeah. So it's private land. It's tribal, uh, land. tribal land, and it's the Bureau of Land Management land. Well, the BLM land we can get on. Yeah. No, there is. There's uh, ways. I've taken the path up. Well, I've also went on Table Mountain because there's some people, man. They live directly on top of the Table Mountain. Okay. And. Uh, it's the weirdest experience because it's you're on top of a lava flow. I mean, that stuff like yeah. salt is not dirt. Yeah. And uh, they have those vernal pools, though. So if it rains a lot, sure. uh, these shrimp and all these exotic flowers, and I'm saying exotic, and they're all like the size of your thumb, 
But if you get the camera and put it down there, man, these are, there's six varieties of flora uh, that grow there and nowhere else in the world. And uh, it's such a specialized niche that uh, no invasive species can grow there. And there's these little shrimp that can lay for years. Yeah, you were telling me about uh, And as soon as it gets enough rain and creates a pool, they, uh, they come to life. They have a little fish, and it's bigger than a minnow, but smaller. It's like, a, they call it a roach. Um, it's like, when I saw, I was thinking minnow size, when I actually saw one, I go, well, that's way bigger than a minnow. Because, I mean... You would think that somebody would want to go up there and at least on the BLM portions of the Table Mountain, you know, look around. I have. Oh, have I found shafts? No, but I've heard lots of stories and I've seen photographic evidence, videos and stuff, people going into them shafts. But three people went down diving into oh, yeah, the, you pit, told me in the pit and only one survived. That's... So, I mean, it's kind of dangerous going into... Uh, sure. My dad owned a mine, and I never went into it. No, it's dangerous. You shouldn't enter a mine, um, a mine shaft. But there's, no, pe- there's people that that's their hobby. Well, yeah. What's what's the guy's name? Uh, oh, uh, Max. His, Max, that's his yeah, hobby. So, yeah, we, so we got to get in touch with that guy. And But, I mean, if, if the miners found on the surface, found these ancient shafts, they should still be there. Well, yeah, but I can't tell one shaft. For that's why I get shafted so much in my life. I can't tell one that's shaft a, that's from a the bad other. One, Dave. Anyway, uh, so ancient mining on Table Mountain. Did I blow your mind? I, uh, yes, yes, you did because that offers actually another explanation as to how do those art of, out of place artifacts, artifacts. Uh, get there. <clears throat> and my argument is, you know, see, there's this extreme. And right. when Whitney proposed it to the Geologic Society or whatever it was he did his lecture for, and you can get the, it's available, you can go online and get it. He's got, uh, I've tried to sit down and read his, uh, he, they, we, there's a seven volume set over at the Historical Society. That's where I got his, he devotes a whole chapter to Schnell's uh, collection. And you know what was really funny when, so United Methodists, I guess they were big here at one point, but they had a journal. And at that time, they were like the, perf- uh, uh, the progressives. Okay. And uh, they wanted to prove like, uh, I don't know if it's creationist theory, but they would prove biblical theories by uh, finding these hard, out of place things. And they reported on a giant skull that uh, was brought. See, every... All the miners liked Schnell, but he was a curmudgeon just like Whitney, but Whitney would get mad at everybody. Uh, the good Dr. Schnell was just kind of a loner dude. And uh, they would take, uh, when the miners found something unusual, they would take, uh, uh, take it to uh, uh, Perez Schnell, where there's a street named after him, where his home was that was going to be the basis. He had the Scientific Society in the 1860s, and uh, that was going to be the historical museum for Tuolumne, but it burnt down. I met Cremo, I, and I, I sort of knew him at one point. I wonder if I can get Cremo to come on. 
Well, yeah, because you talk about so he is one extreme. You talk about your different extremes. Oh, one, yeah. somebody's just straight out debunker, or are like me. I I agree that those. I mean, there's the receipts. There's uh, the artifacts were actually pulled out of the ground. There's scientific uh, studies and everything. Well, even the Smithsonian admits that the stuff came out of the ground. Right. The argument but, is the age. Right, and uh, so there's extremes, and Cremo is like the way extreme. He believes time goes and you goes, or whatever they call them. Yeah. Um, and It'd be interesting, though, to see what he knows about Table Mountain. I'm sure he knows a lot because he came out with papers and the Historical Society. He came out here. Yeah. And uh, the Historical Society, one of the guys got up to debunk him. But you know what? The story that the uh, the debunker said was just as outlandish. As I'm not, I think Cremo, at least he brings... He collects uh, stories. Yeah. Kind of, that's what he does is yeah. collect stories on out-of-place things. And he does have a theory he wants to prove. Yeah, with and that. that's fine. But he's a collector. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I don't want to come down but too hey, much, but I'm just saying those are the extremes. Sure. But you have to have the extremes because the truth is somewhere in the middle. Yeah, uh, probably so, yeah. But it's it, the idea, that's the only place that I've ever read about there being mine shafts in Table Mountain that were our ancient. Oh, you mean the real ancient ones before? Yeah. Uh, and it, it I don't know. Sense. I don't know how they were would be using. You think they were mining for gold? Well, the the paper talks about them mining for gold, but is that just an assumption? I mean, the Devastonians they found little workshops. I think. Uh, I think that that's an assumption. The truth is, is that nobody ever carried out an archaeological. Dig. No, not yeah. And by the time, in fact, there no, were scientists here. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, renowned Whitney and Snell yeah, and there were a few others. They were actually geologists and stuff. Well, not one guy was a. No, maybe not archaeologists. There's a difference. But I know there is. But in America at that time, yeah, they didn't time. have those departments. Well, so if you were into any related field, the only option sure. you have was a medical doctor. But nobody but nobody has ever carried out. A, see, I had the same complaint about the East Bay Walls. Everybody's got a theory. You know, the, the park ranger's telling me that, that it was either built by Native Americans or it was built by a, an Amish farmer. <clears throat> it's so high up, the cows don't go there. Like the cows like literally turn around and go back down because there's nothing there, right? And there was no Amish farmer that lived there. The Native Americans of that area, the Ohlone and the coastal Miwok, did not build structures like that. They built more temporary structures. So why would any group undertake the massive expenditure of effort to build a wall that is 30 miles long and it's six feet, six or eight feet high, the amount of human resources required to do that, the rocks are everywhere, but the amount of, of effort for a bunch of humans to construct a wall made out of rocks stacked on top of rocks that's 30 miles long and six or more feet high and goes inland all the way from, from Fremont all the way to Mount Diablo, which is another 20 miles or whatever. 
Well, you know, Tuolumne County, and there's still remnants around, and you probably live by some. Haven't you ever seen the stone walls? Oh, yeah. uh, Around your place somewhere? And I do have the receipts on that one, but uh, it's a little different. Yeah, but, but... We have it all. We should go on a rock find. Do you ever see those tombstone rocks that shale? Oh, yeah. And a lot of it's disappeared because people want it to, for their patios. Sure. But it's these outcroppings that look like little tombstones. But what I'm Strange seeing... Strange geology here. But what I'm seeing is that nobody ever carried out... Carried no, I know out. what you're saying. Yeah, and, and the, wall, the wall in East Bay is so old that an acorn fell into the wall and do a crack in the wall because it's a stacked stone. That acorn, No mortar, yeah. Yeah, that acorn grew into a tree that is like, I don't know, two feet in diameter and actually split the wall in half. The age of that, when the Spaniards came, they actually asked the Native Americans in that area, the Ohlone and the coastal Miwok, you know, who built the wall? And the, the Native Americans in that area said, we don't know. It was just there. So it predates them. And then you have the whole thing in Conqueror where they found the they found the giant with the weird grave goods and whatever. But nobody ever does an actual archaeological expedition to try to figure this stuff out. Well, There's at the ancient- Black Hawk uh, region where they found all the fossils and stuff, uh, that was kind of because they were building and they found it. But the miners just... There's nothing left. Anything that they found. It's uh, all gone. Yeah, and they dug down to the bedrock. I mean, and, they, and there's records of all the stuff that they found. But if you went in there today and dug, I don't, uh, yeah, you'd, you might. You'd, you'll find more. Because they didn't hollow out that mountain. No, they didn't hollow out the mountain. So if you went in there today, if you raised a couple million dollars or whatever it would take, if you went in there today, not looking for gold, but looking for artifacts, and you dug around in there, you'll find more. You probably would. Uh, but I mean, they those miners scraped uh, 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 those rocks clean. Uh, like over in, I don't know if, it, now they found a new site down in Valley Springs, and that's the adjacent county. Isn't that Stanislaus County yeah, I think there? Yeah, that's Stanislaus. And uh, they found an archeological site I don't think they found the remains of uh, people yet, but they found the mastodons and all that stuff. And um, uh, here on Table Mountain, uh, they found that. So I don't know if they, they weren't kill sites. Whatever, whatever killed them, the lava flowed over them, or whatever, however it was. But they they were all like in a little gully. Right. So when they're digging um, for the gold. All of a sudden, they just, uh, it was like dozens of mastodon skeletons. They said right. they carried this, the, them away by the carts full. Now, over at the Table Mountain by where I live, Table Mountain goes uh, quite a, a distance. Yeah. And um, the, uh, the heaviest gold area where they got the most gold is down there by Jamestown. Though. The Jamestown mine was the largest producing mine in the world at one point. And um, they uh, they found a rhinoceros tooth, uh, and um, Dr. Schnell was uh, very proud of that possession. Can you I can imagine like the megafauna? Oh sure. Yeah, you know? and that but, fascinating. And and if they found remains and artifacts of human habitation 
coexisting with the uh, megafauna. Right. I don't see there's a problem with that. No, it's it's something that you know that needs to be explained. Uh, because of where they found it within uh, the Table Mountain but and now, the gravels. But you know, you know, off and on through the whole time we've done this show, we always come back to Table Mountain at some point for some reason. And today we came back because this guy Corliss had found an article where they had found mine shafts, not one. They found multiple mine shafts. But we need to make a photocopy of that to put in the museum because I would like that to be next to, so like Michael Cremo right. and then the Historical Society actually, I think, got an article in the CRISPA. Uh, uh, that's their little uh, quarterly. Uh, debunking it. I went to the lecture and heard it. And um, and then them building the shafts uh, in right. ancient times and then bringing in artifacts. I mean, yeah. a guy could come in and he was just having his lunch. And know? it collapses on him and it's all there. Uh, <laughs> but they, they had some reason for tunneling into the mountain. And in this one case, it talks about the shaft that at the bottom there was an altar of some some kind of stone altar at the bottom with a body. But that would have to be the uh, peoples before the Native Americans that when right. the European colonialists came in uh, that were existing at that no, time. No, they're saying this is around, this is... It's this the is old one. pre-Clovis. No, uh, yeah, pre and you know what the thing is, is... They hit Clovis and they say, well, there's no level. So anybody that dug below that and found something, they were debunked. Exactly. No, you don't go any lower no, than this Clovis level. No, Clovis is as low as you want to go. Right, but then uh, you go deeper. Right. And, uh, well, they are now, but that's why they're saying they're, they keep pushing back the date. Right, so they, they believed uh, people didn't get here till 6,000 years ago, and now they're proving that it had to have been at least 130,000 years ago. And I think they can push it back further to like what Whitney was saying a million and a half years ago. It's possible. Uh, but see, Michael Cremo, no, he like says it's 30. Minutes. No, he oh, goes, yeah, because the uh, eruptions that oh, created right, Table Mountain was over a series of time. So depending on what level right. you find. And so he's saying... 38 million years ago or something. I know you got to get him. I'll get him on. And uh, But I will because say he, that he found articles from the old newspapers and scientific journals at that time and published them. You can go online. Yeah, no, I'm going to Some go. of my source material was Michael Cremo. But, you know, I think it's, it begs a question. You know, you, you, it's like you pointed out. You talk about Shasta, 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 but it's like, this is much weirder. Yeah, I think it is as well. All right. Well, we got to take a break. All right. So I'm going to do the station identification. All right. You're quick. listening to the Enigma Hour with uh, me, You're Olaf good. Phillips, and uh, Captain Dave Allen over there. Uh, we're on KADLP 103.5 FM. Motherload Community Radio. And now we're going to play some, uh, some music while we take a short break.
And on the front. <laughs> okay, Dave. So that was some Arthur Lyman, uh, called the Midnight Sun, 1965. That's a classic in the in the tiki world. Yeah, boy, that's true. Uh, so when I very first met you, you came into the studio here, and I said, "Well, if you were going to put on a show, uh, what kind of show would it be?" And when you said a paranormal tiki hour. I said, how's Thursday night? <laughs> yeah, it was a fast ascent. <laughs> I was like, okay, sure. Why not? All right, so you now, this is a request from a listener. Yeah, they wanted to know more about treasure hunting. Okay. So we hit a, a nerve on, on that one, sort of. Yeah. There are a lot of treasure hunters. And this guy, Frank Fish, that I had mentioned, that I had heard actually talked to the guy that was like this investigative reporter and he was investigating into the, and I had already been told about the lost shipment of gold because I was living up in Tuolumne and there was these old timers, they were stacking wood for this old guy or loading his truck up and they were talking. And one of the old guys was uh, Old Man Spawn. Right, you told me about him. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, he owned the Spawn Ranch. And he didn't like any kind of talk about... Uh, that upset him. He didn't know what was going on down there. No. And um, uh, But they had told me the story about the lost shipment of gold. Okay. And then when I uh, heard this guy, Scott... Oh, we should probably set the... Explain why the Spawn Ranch. Everybody knows about that's where Charlie Manson did his thing. Yeah, that's where he was hanging out. Okay, continue. And there was actually a connection to Tuolumne County. Yes. When is there? When it comes to weird stuff, when is there not a connection to Tuolumne? I don't know. But um, so then I did a little research, and and a a lot of uh, the stuff. He was really admired by other treasure hunters. Fish was, yeah. And, uh, and, but he was a relic hunter. Yeah. I mean, he spent his career like down in Central America on raiding Mayan tombs and stuff. He was a smuggler. He was detained. Uh, I guess a lot of people were doing it, but there was an antiquities market. Well, there still is. And, uh, well... Uh, it's, uh, it's been speculated that he probably made some enemies uh, during that time. So you got to think all those old movies where there's a re- the rival relic hunters. Well, you know? even in Indiana Jones, right? Yeah, this yeah this guy is kind of an Indiana Jones kind of yeah. character uh, for sure, and he had the hat. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, one thing I did is he's the one that started the. Um, Metal detecting craze up here. He built 
You know, I seen. I said I seen a picture, and I said there must be an old military or something. Yeah, you know, he built that. That's crazy. Uh, he was like, the I have first, to, go ahead. I have to admit though, my favorite guy on the on the, the Curse of Oak Island is Gary Drayton. Okay, he's the metal detector guy. Oh yeah, top pocket fine man. Um, That's a Bobby Dazzler. <laughs> I should try to get him on. I do it. So, um, so, uh, oh, and he also, well, I'll get to that part anyway. All right, lay it it on me. He spent a career, 20 years down doing archaeology, uh, pot hunting. Quote, unquote, archaeology. In uh, Mexico and Central America, okay? Okay. And uh, uh, he found old Spanish gold. Uh, conquistadori stuff and idols and sure. I, I seen a picture of him surrounded but I don't think he ever got that over the border he was detained by Costa Rica government because he got caught trying to smuggle stuff out of the country it's like he didn't do jail time yeah uh, so he went to retire in Costa Mesa Okay. And um, he started a little Gold Rush Museum there. Oh, yeah. yeah I remember and then um, he had some friends that bought um, uh, some, an old building up in Amador City. Uh, that was the old Wells Fargo building. Right. It says, bring your operation up here. Oh, and this guy was a graphic artist originally. He was working down there. Um, and there was, uh, they interviewed one guy that knew him. He says he was the nicest guy and that he would actually take, he says the first time he ever went on any kind of relic hunting trip up here in the motherload. So Frank Fish was already making trips up here. Right. This is in the early 1950s, I guess. And then in 1958, he's going to retire right. uh, up here and build a little museum and show off all the stuff it's he found. It's my dream, man. It's and, my dream. Yeah. If the rent, if the rent on Washington Street was not so bad, it's my dream. So they were the Schaefer family, and he became really good friends with Erie. That's the the woman. Okay. Her she was Lake Erie Schaefer. Okay. All right, and That's her husband name. Bill. Okay, so he moved his museum, and he's gonna live out there. And uh, uh, they interviewed all the people that, that knew him or knew of him. He, he was kind of a loner dude. Okay. Uh, you had to, uh, had to be in his circle, I guess. Right. And, uh, uh, but they, he kept, what he did was he let his rattlesnakes loose in the museum at night when he locked it up. <laughs> okay. And he says, that's my security system. It's a decent security system. Yeah, but he was known for that. And prowling around the streets at night with a shotgun. And he had his shotgun set up uh, so that somebody opened the door, you know. Uh, yeah, I okay. get it. Yeah. You wired the door. Okay, so in 1961, he publishes a book. And it became, he became kind of famous for this little book. And it's called Buried Treasure in Lost Mines. And, uh, oh, and it, it was subtitled Authenticated Lost Treasures Still Unfound, complete with approximate site maps. 
And so, man, uh, after that book was published, he had 38,000 visitors wow. in his little tiny museum in 1962. Okay? But he liked to talk with the tourists. Sure. Well, I know, but uh, he was telling uh, uh, people about, he was showing off his gold, and uh, so he, he, uh, he kind of helped spread the story of uh, this loot, this lost gold oh, the from lost the gold, 1850s. The gold shipment, right? Right, the yeah. gold shipment. Okay, so... Uh, so on Saturday night in April, so they found his body April 7th, 1963. And uh, it was murder. Although uh, the police said it was suicide. But no one that knew him believed that. And there was just so much. Oh, and then he left a suicide note that was very bizarre. And when they went to have it analyzed, a handwriting analysis, yeah. they didn't match. It was forged. And, and his whole place had been rifled through. And it wasn't until Lake Erie, Erie and Bill came up here to Amador City uh, because I think they actually owned the property. And they were friends. And uh, she knew what was missing out of his collection. And then over a period of nights... The place just kept getting hit until there was like nothing left. All his 7,000 artifacts uh, came up missing. But anyway, on the Saturday night before he, they found him dead, uh, there was a little hotel right around the corner, the Amador Hotel. And uh, they're getting these phone calls saying we need to talk to fish. Well, it's the middle of the night. It's like, uh, you know, the bar is closing, it's 2 a.m. And uh, says, sorry, man, uh, you know, and so the guy kept calling back whoever it was. And uh, so the employee of the hotel just goes across the street to Frank, he lived in a trailer behind his museum, okay. pounded on the door, says you got a phone call. And there's different reports of there's more than one, so I don't know which one is true, but he did take a phone call and either got upset. Once, one version of the story says he gets real quiet. Okay. And uh, so I, maybe it was author's license or something and turned ghostly white. And he says, is anything wrong? And I'm okay. And then another set of the story is he argued with somebody over the phone and then slammed it in. But the next uh, morning, they, he was found dead with a gunshot wound to his head. Okay, so everybody just figures it's because he had claimed that he found um, the, uh, that lost shipment of gold in Columbia. As a matter of fact, I have a story from another famous treasure hunter, and it was the best Best story, and the guy was really good friends with Frank Fish. They went on treasure expeditions together and stuff, treasure hunting expeditions, and they knew each other for a long time. And it's the most authoritative letter. I think it gives the facts pretty good. So, but, so this one lady, Erie, 
who was real close friends, she owned the, uh, uh, the building that the museum was in. And she said that he was planning a new expedition. He just bought a new Jeep, a re- camping refrigerator, two-ray radio, and a real expensive tape recorder. He was ready to go on his next ex- expedition. Okay? And so the one guy that was his friend and the fellow treasure hunter hints that he was murdered because of that. He had found that lost shipment of gold from here in Colombia. But this lady, Erie, says, no, I think what they were looking for was the Peralta map. Oh. And it was, uh, he got it on one of his expeditions in Mexico. And it was supposed to be one of two maps because somebody tore the map in half. Can you imagine all the different stories, movies and stuff? And this predates those movies. It does. So I wonder if they get the idea from uh, these stories. It's possible. Um, So he has half a map. Okay. And he actually took a uh, trip to the Superstition Mountains. Uh, This is supposed to be the Lost Dutchman's Mine. Right. It's called the Peralta Mine. Okay. And... um, uh, he's up there, and it's known. I mean, people die looking for that gold up in the Superstition Mountains. Yeah. No, it's a bad place. And uh, somebody starts shooting at him. He always carried a gun. Everybody said he always always had a gun on him. And uh, can you imagine him walking down the street with his Indiana Jones hat and a sidearm? <laughs> I can't even imagine. <laughs> he must have been quite the... Uh, and a Quite, bag, bag full of rattlesnakes. Uh, yeah. Um, but she knew where the map was. He hid it behind the calendar on the wall. Okay. So she came in possession, her and her husband came in possession of the map, Peralta map. The problem what happened to that Peralta map is uh, they're uh, trying to uh, decipher and the thing's so old, it's made out of some kind of animal skin or something. And some of the stuff's really faded. You can't hardly sure. see it. So somebody convinced them uh, that they had a special treatment that they would treat the skin sure. or parchment, whatever it was made out of, and it would bring out those letters better. Well, it did just the opposite. Oh, it darkened terrible. it. But to this day... Uh, you can go down to the Superstition Mountain uh, Museum, and that half of the Peralta map is is there on the wall, encased in glass. So the, it's called the Fish Fish Peralta map, huh. and uh, it's from a guy from up here. So she thinks that uh, um, it was uh, that that they were after. The map to the Lost Dutchman's Mine. And uh, so here's the letter from Ben Trawick. And uh, let's see if I can do a short version of this. It says, uh, or any, any, first, he starts off saying, What a good personal friend, and gives some evidence for that. 
And he said, oh, and he said right off the top, Frank Fish was not the suicidal type. He loved his museum and his thousands of relics. And he had a large treasure cache. Uh, but it says like all treasure hunters, Frank was never prone to reveal locations or such. However, I was a close friend. And uh, so he did tell me a bit of what he was doing. He had found positive evidence that a large treasure had been hidden in the vicinity of Columbia, California. So in 1850, and this is the story that I have, but here is, I don't know if this is the source of it, but um, the U.S. government uh, cast raw gold into $20 gold pieces for the miners. This was done in order to place more legally minted money into circulation. So I had all that right. At this service uh, was performed free of charge. Uh, all the miners took advantage of it. They wanted to stabilize the price of the money. So uh, everybody chipped in. And uh, it was the very first mint. San Francisco Mint opened that year. It was one of their first jobs. Okay. Um, so the gold came back, and four men and a team of mules left Columbia with his usual load of gold pieces to distribute them to the miners. And as a matter of fact, it says the men hailed several riders a short distance out of Columbia, then disappeared never to be seen again. They were going from Columbia to Shaw's Flat, never made it to That's Shaw's. That's like two miles. Yeah, and you live in Shaw's Flat, don't you? I live near it. Okay. And, uh, well, this gold might be up where you are somewhere. <laughs> okay. Didn't you say you had what you thought was an old mine up in there? Yeah, I think so. So uh, the reason why Frank had receipts, he had letters and papers from that period, um, and uh, that gave him clues. And he believed that the men had been ambushed and the wagon mules and gold coins stolen and uh, so well hidden that no trace of them was ever found. So because of my skeptical remarks, Frank laid three $20 gold pieces on the table before me and said, I traced the route taken by the man with the load of gold where I believe would be a good spot for an ambush. And he went over it with a detector and he said he found these. And um, anyway, he kept finding clues as to where this uh, was. And he found this one, uh, uh, what he thought was there was this cabin. He found remains of this cabin. And uh, there was different layers. So it had been occupied by different people. Okay. And, uh, not, one of, not uncommon here. Yeah. So one of them was the outlaws that ambushed this thing for their hideout. But he dug deeper and found remains. He found a Spanish sword and a Spanish knife and a skeleton. And a 69 caliber pistol. So, uh, when he had it analyzed, it was the same kind of pistol that they used to assassinate Lincoln. Oh, and then deeper still, there was an Ola, you know, a jar, clay right. jar, and uh, gold, uh, gold nuggets ran out of that. Then he dug a little bit deeper and um, found another pot, and it was filled with uh, silver dollars. 
and it all been blackened. Wow. So, uh, quite the cash. Yeah. But he, according to this guy, his friend, he laid two more $20 gold pieces dated 1850. And, you know, unlike silver blackens, gold stays fresh. I mean, right. you know, freshly minted. He says, I found these in the ruins of the cabin. So that's why he thought uh, the holdup artist uh, held up there. And uh, let's see, I'm going through this. And that's when... Um, he showed up at the bar that night and threw the $20 gold pieces to the uh, bartender. Right. And, and there was some kind of... And see, these different reports vary, and they've been compiled from old newspaper reports. And the reason why they're so sketchy is because uh, the one guy that's a reporter believed that there was a cover-up by the sheriff's department itself. And uh, so there's some kind of weird connection there. So, and then he goes on to say that there's no way that it was suicide, it had to be murder. So then you have all his, his friends, and uh, he actually had a son. And his son took the uh, suicide letter for handwriting analysis, found yeah, out it was a forgery. It's a forgery. And, uh, uh, oh, did you know that he found an ancient settlement, not previously known to historians, and they dated this settlement about uh, 1600. I mean, that's going way back. That is. Do you know there's a uh, a uh, a barn? What looks like a barn, but it's very weird because you got to duck under to get in there. But it, it looked like it was uh, to be kept uh, livestock and. Uh, is down in LaGrange, which is right on the border of uh, Tuolumne right. and Stanislaus. Um, and they cannot date that, that the original people that came here in the 1840s all claimed it was already there. But it's wood. And uh, They can carbon-14 it, right? Oh, you've, you've been there? You've seen that? No, I've never seen it. Uh, <clears throat> Sounds like I need to. Yeah. They have a little plaque. That's interesting. So that was an anomaly. Okay, so did he find the gold? Was this treasure the cause of his death? Um, was there any connection between the skeleton buried with the gold and silver in the gully? Um, did the gold lie buried somewhere near Columbia, as Frank believed? Does it lie there yet? And he says, I probably knew more about Frank Fish and his treasure hunting activities than anyone. Yet I don't know the answers to the mystery. I only know that Frank Fish, the Frank Fish that I knew, would not take his life intentionally or in such a manner. And that was uh, from a, this guy wrote like, I don't know how many books, it looked like 60 books or something, yeah. uh, bragging about all his treasure hunting. And his name was Ben Trawick. So there you go. That's, uh, uh, that's the research that I did on uh, Frank Fish. I'm glad people found that a uh, interesting story. Um, and well, it also is uh, connected with the um, uh, Peralta map. And there was one more thing. 
Remember I told you that uh, I went down to my stepfather's house, uh, and he lived in Oklahoma, and yeah. uh, he showed me the home of Jesse James and then yeah. took me out and showed me, it's called, they're called Sentinels, the people that watch over the KGB or Knights of the Golden Circle, K KGC yeah. Gold. There's no relation, okay? I just put those two together because those are the only two really good treasure hunting stories that I knew that I was familiar with. Right. And then come to, come to find out there's, there's 11 states that say they have hidden Jesse James treasure. Now, it is authenticated that that house that my stepfather showed me was under the name of Frank James, and that was a place where the James Younger gang hung out. I thought it was his... He was actually born in Missouri. It wasn't his family homestead. Yeah. Uh, but he, uh, my stepfather did take me out to this hill, and I think it was called Buzzard's Roost. Or there is one... Uh, when you look at the lore and literature, yeah. and there is a rock with which looks like a treasure map carved on it, and it even has the is initials. There really? Yes, it, it does, and it even has the initials JJ on it. And uh, what whether these people are treasure hunters, you wouldn't believe all uh, all the uh, good old boys that go out treasure hunting. Oh, I believe uh, it. Looking for old Confederate gold. Uh, no, every, <laughs> everybody, everybody loves treasure. And so I, I didn't know much about uh, Jesse James, and, uh, but uh, he started robbing about 1879 until 1881. Uh, they... They did at least 12 bank robberies, seven train robberies, four stagecoach heights. Jeez. Um, uh, their largest take that they had was in Liberty, Missouri. And their very first heist was one of their biggest ones. And um, with the amounts robbed from his first and second gangs, it's thought that during his 17-year career, Jesse James, together with his gangs, amassed close to uh, $500,000. Yeah, how and, much was uh, that? Well, okay. So when he died, it is thought that Jesse James had a net worth of around $200,000, which is the equivalent of almost $6 million Wow. today. That's a lot. And, uh, supposedly he hid it all over the place. And 11 states claim to have Jesse James hidden gold in it. But what blew my mind is my stepdad... He wasn't a treasure hunter, but he was somehow proud of the lore from his state. Right. Uh, and that included the lore, and he took his time to drive me out there. Well, we're actually going out to a place where he was born and raised. But somehow or another, I, I did connect the stories, but I didn't mean to. It's just that those were two treasure stories I had hidden away in my mind, and I kind of put the two of them together. Although that would make a good story, looking yeah. for hidden Knights of the Golden Circle uh, gold. But this was... Yeah, but I mean, there's not just one cache. I mean, they, they had a, quite a few. Well, I know, but I mean, a over uh, 
11 states, people are out hunting down Jesse yeah. James' lost treasures. I seen one video that was kind of cool because they went to a Confederate cemetery. It took them all day to drive. And these were real hillbilly type guys. And they did find a sentinel tree. One of the symbols is a turtle. I don't know what the turtle's supposed to mean. Uh, but they found a Confederate cemetery that actually had a big headstone saying, remains of the Confederate soldiers. And the goal was supposed to be buried, buried nearby. So they went down this gully, and what the gully was is the cemetery had collapsed. Oh. And there was like, says, is this cloth? And, you know, like they're finding the clothing, and all of a sudden they look up, and there's a jawbone. Sticking <laughs> out of the side. Right. Oh, my goodness. Uh, so they had come in a collapsed. Uh, so I can see why this is fascinating stuff for people. Uh but no, uh, we have every sort of connection in Tuolumne, but not not to Jesse James, I'm afraid. Yeah, that's a bummer. <laughs> we have everything else, though. Yeah, we do. So there's a little more information on the Frank Fish story. Uh, lost treasures and hidden mines. You know, I can't even find a copy of it. No, it's, there, it's hard to find now. And you know what's really funny? When I was a kid and we used to come up here, yeah. they were everywhere. It wasn't just his store that sold it. Every little shop in the motherload sold his little book. It was saddle-stitched. And I had read it at one time, but I was just a kid. But it did even had hand-drawn maps. Yeah, and I, lists I can of, see a picture of it. Uh, lists of the different... Um, yeah, he drew all those pictures in that book. Yeah, that's the book there. I see you're looking yeah. it up. Uh, trying to find one for sale? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if you can. It was I, just saddle stitch. It was like a pamphlet. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I can. <laughs> and he became famous for that. But I think people are still searching for the gold of the mines that he suggested in those books, in that book. Probably. That's probably why they're not available. Uh, yeah, probably to this day. Although most of the people I know aren't treasure hunters. Um, although, yeah, I guess there are, because um, when I first moved up here and I worked for the Forest Service and a lot of these gold guys that try to make a living on gold mines yeah. and uh, just doing gold, and they can't. And um, well, they, What is it they say you have to have a mine to... Yeah, well, these are like prospectors, just go around... Uh, and they blow my mind, though. So I worked with these guys, but it was for the Forest Service, completely unrelated activity. But they're out right. in the woods anyway. They're the old sourdough people, right? Yeah. And they would had these little vials of gold, and they could show it among themselves, and they know exactly from the shape, whether it's coarse or smooth, and how the size is and stuff. They know exactly what creek down to the bend in the creek. Oh, this came from so-and-so. And says, that's right. Well, there was this one guy that was prospecting up on top of Table Mountain. Right. And, he, and the gold didn't fascinate me at all. He found a children's toy that was a um, cast iron uh, locomotive, a steam engine. Yeah. And, that was just, and it, it dates on from Table like Mountain. on top of Table Mountain. And it dates from the 19th century. 
That's and, crazy. Uh, it was a beautiful piece, and I found that more fascinating than their little vials of gold. Although it did fascinate me that all of them that knew their stuff could tell you what creek they were trying to fool each other. Well, what creek did this come from? Yeah. And the guy knew it, and so they did oh, that no, back no. and forth. If you know anybody who does that stuff, they 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 know. Uh, no, I got a I got a, a tip on on a place to go gold panning. But and I don't know many people that go in search of relics and artifacts. No, it's relics and artifacts, but I got a tip to go gold panning and you know, hunted and hunted and hunted and we we think we found it. But it you know, and it was the way it was described and it was about where they said it was. Oh uh, no, if you if you if you know people who who gold gold mining like panning, no, they know exactly where on a river to go. Or, I mean, I didn't find anything, but they know exactly where to go. When I first moved up here, there were a lot of my stepsister and her old man, and they'd work all day and just get a little vial. You know, they yeah. had all this gold jewelry. I remember at the Fiddling Bango, they used to give away this big old gold nugget, and as years went by, that nugget got smaller and smaller. I have a friend that runs a gold panning business. Right. He takes little tour groups out and stuff, yeah. and he has his special places he goes to, and it's and he won't disclose. No, nobody will tell you anything. But he took a group out on this one thing, in a what was it, year before last? It just rained like an SOB. I'm oh, just yeah. Ripped, and it flooded everything, and and they were finding gold everywhere. It, yeah. it, he told me, he said, Dave, man, I got interviewed by the BBC. Cause oh, it, wow. Because uh, it kind of gold fever worldwide, right? Sure. And so they, he takes a little group out, and he spends all his time gold panning and stuff, and he takes this group out, and this amateur guy doesn't know what he's doing. He finds this humongous nugget, and uh, the guy was so jealous. <laughs> That's the way it always is, though. It's always the guy that shouldn't win the lottery that wins the lottery. Right. <laughs> but they pay him, and uh, he goes, I'll pay you back. Just give me that nugget. That's really funny. No, they say they say after a storm, that's when you should go. Right, and we had a series of storms, and yeah. they were finding finding so much gold yeah. that it made world attention. That was just a couple of years ago. Yeah. Uh, no, it, it is. You know, and I have to admit that I, you know, I watch Gold Rush and Bering Sea Gold, and but it's if you when you watch <clears throat> when you watch Gold Rush, especially. It becomes very obvious, very fast, why there are very few people that actually make money, <clears throat> make money mining it, because it, you know, there. This one guy, he, I mean, he had to. I want to say it's like sixty feet or eighty feet of overburden. The stuff on top of the the pay layer, sixty or eighty feet. He he dug down a pit. That pit has to be 100 feet deep. No, I, yeah, they're, uh, they weren't <laughs> only digging down the bedrock. They were doing the hard rock mining, just barreling right through the uh, yeah. granite. I mean, it's, it's insane. Like, they burn a, a modern gold mine. They are burning so much money in diesel just with the vehicles 
in the in Did the, I tell you the story? So my dad buys this property. Oh, yeah, you told me about that, yeah. And he comes up with a core sample, digging for a well. He comes yeah, up with a core sample of gold. gold. And they gave up mining because the mine flooded. Right. And the property next door had cattails and everything. You know, it was like right. marshy land. And he realized the only way he could do it was to dig on the, to the side so it would drain out as he dug. And he had enlist the, he was on top of the hill. So uh, he had to try to enlist his neighbors. And they didn't want any no. part of it. And then he found out how, why. Yeah. How much it would cost for the operations. Yeah, no, you, they say you have to have a gold mine to, to dig a gold mine. But a lot of people enjoy going out for their day trip. Yeah, it's, it's <clears throat> you know, it's nice. You know, you pack a lunch and, you know, uh, go sit by. Although there's a place out in the Italian Bar Road that's real popular. And and uh, it's actually government land. And they've kind of taken it over as a gold panning district. And one time I went out there. See, what fascinates me is the... Uh, riparian habitats, you know, the banks along the rivers. Yeah. And uh, during the gold mining thing, and, and farming too, and the damming and diverting of waterways. Do you know we still use the flume and ditch system that. Well, that's what the was, ditch is, right? Uh, yeah, that was built um, to provide water to the miners. Yeah. And we still get charged by the miners' inch. <laughs> we use the same system. But see, they just like cleared the banks of the of of the waterways. Well, actually, I was it destroys the habitat. Ninety percent of a riparian habitat. I mean, it was so thick, and it has the wa- largest variety of wildlife and plant <clears throat> life than any other habitat. And ninety percent of it in California is gone. You know, I was I was going out to Mariposa. And so I took the route out by Snelling, go out to Snelling and turn mm-hmm. left, right? When you hit that T-junction, where right is Snelling and left is toward Merced Falls and uh-huh. Merced Rivers right there, you drive along and they're on both sides of the road, there are these huge, like, wavy mounds. And I had no idea what those are. Those are actually tailings from a dredge. Oh, they would. Uh... I mean, and they're, they're 20, 30 feet high. Have you ever seen pictures of those dredges? Yeah. That I mean, they were like, wow. They were like cities. They were they like were. the luxury liners but, that big. But I it mean, shows you how extensively they mine this yeah. place. And that's that's over on the Merced River. So if they're going to find anything, they're going to find it, is what was my point. Yeah. You know, you were saying, well, there's still gold and then there are hills. Yes, there is. And there's still artifacts and relics, I'm no, sure. No, I'm more worried about the relics and artifacts. Uh, the but uh, they scoured this area, and that's why they found as much as they did. But, you know, it's just to go, a lot of people here just go gold panning. And, it, you know, it's nice. Like, you're not going to find much. But, you know, you go sit by a river and you kind of kind of pan away and, you know, make a sandwich and have lunch and sit by the river. It's You know, it's a kind of zen thing to do. I mean, you're not going to find much. You're not going to walk away with a fist-sized nugget. But it's just kind of a pleasant thing to do. You know what's funny for me is like, yeah, I had relatives that had kind of like gold fever. Right. And and somebody that's really good at it, I mean, somebody that really knows how to work a pan. Oh, yeah. Uh, no, they, they'll get a legitimate. Uh, I mean, the way they just real quick, I mean, it's like, I don't know how to do any of that. No, I don't. Uh, 
But what always fascinated I me just is, do it for fun. is like the ruins. Yeah. Like you see this old st stone miner's cabin are the falling apart. When we went out to Chinese camp. Right. Because I wanted to show people the ruins, you know. Yeah. And, it's ruins. Uh, yeah, but I mean, that's what fascinates me well, more I mean, than the gold itself. What I find interesting, though, is a lot of times, like, if you want to go just walk along the river, you'll see the remnants of gold painting. Like, you'll see where they they had made themselves like a little, you know, they were getting hey, a little bit of You can follow water. down Basin Creek and oh, find, yeah. like, these dams. Like, yeah, they made they dams. They said, man... Uh, this must have been the operation here. You oh, know? yeah. Uh, yeah, you find remnants of that everywhere. You're right. It's true. And, it, you know, like I said, it, it's a fun pastime. You know, you just kind of go and you kind of go and do some panning for fun. I mean, you're not going to find much, but it's just kind of entertaining. It's, you know, when you get the gold fever, that's when it gets crazy. You know, and, and there's a lot of equipment and it's expensive and... Maybe we're just going to go have some fun, you know. Oh, but uh, you got to watch out where you do it and how extensive you do it. Yes. Oh, I seen one video where the guy says, I'm looking for, uh, and he told the property owner that he was looking for uh, treasure hunting and stuff. And he says, mind if I poke around? He says, no, I don't mind if I poke around. And all of a sudden, the guy's bringing in an excavator. Yeah, it's not poking around. <laughs> and the guy goes, what do you, you said I could poke around? I said, I didn't want, mean you to dig up my property. <laughs> you know, I, had a, I have a friend, he's from Columbia. And Columbia actually has a lot of gold in it. And uh, <clears throat> there are these huge tracks out in the jungle that they mined. And his family, they got the idea one day that they wanted to do that. So while he was in high school, they they set up a mining camp, and, and his brothers and his mom and him, <clears throat> they were gold mining. They got their hands on an old beat-up excavator, the whole thing, right? And so they're mining away, and they're actually making decent money, you know, comfort, comfortable money, like mining. And uh, one day they're they're kind of going going to town mining. This guy pulls up in a real nice car, like a Range Rover, and he's got a bunch of pickup trucks filled with other people with guns. And they show up, and the guy's like, "Hi, you know, I'm your next door neighbor. I have a big mine over there." And they're like, "Yeah, we know who you are." He goes, "Yeah, you know, I had to bring along my bodyguards. There's like 20 guys with guns because the um, I forget the name of them. It's not." It's not the FMLA, but it, there's a there was like a guerrilla group that was fighting the Colombian government. Like you gotta you gotta watch out for those guys. They're everywhere, and they're kind of looking around at the twenty or thirty guys with guns. And he's like, you know, it's very dangerous here. And they're like looking around at the twenty or thirty guys with guns. He's like, you know what? You should just sell me your property because I have a private army, and I can protect myself. So why don't you sell me your claim here and you guys can pocket some money and leave. They took the money that day and left. <laughs> I mean, it's a real cutthroat operation. So, you know, yeah. Poking around is not with an excavator. <laughs> but it's, it's pretty cutthroat. Yeah, I have a friend that was raised down in Central America. And his, his dad worked for... Um, like Bank of America or something. Yeah. And 
Uh, he uh, spent the night running from some kind of guerrilla army. Uh, yeah. Scared. He thought he was going to lose his life. Yeah. And, uh, That's what they were convinced of. But it wasn't the gorillas that were going to take him out. Anyway, so that's another fantabulous show of the Enigma Hour with me, Olaf Phillips, Captain Tiki, and I got Captain Dave Allen over there. Oh, yeah, and thanks for going on our explorations. You can hang up your uh, pith helmet now. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, keep it uh, on that rack. Absolutely. Be ready to dawn it next Next, week. Next week. Next week, 10 to midnight. As we explore together. The unknown. And it's even unknown to us. <laughs> it is. We don't know what we're doing. <laughs> All right, everybody. That's entertainment. That's entertainment. It's entertaining to us, too. All right. So next week, we'll explore another one of life's little mysteries. All right. Aloha, everybody. Have a good night. <laughs>